Welcome to the IC Med Family Health Matters Podcast, conversations about the changing world of health, technology, and caregiving. This podcast brings you insight from experts and innovators to empower you to live a better life. We're here to help you and yours get in the driver's seat of your health care because your family matters. And now, here are your hosts, Yaya Fanusi and Andrea Yuseem. Welcome to the IC Med Family Health Matters podcast. This is Yaya Fanusi, and I'm here with Andrea Yuseem. Andrea, how are you doing today? Good. I'm excited for a new episode. Yes, I know. It's been a while that we've uh, been away, but we've got actually something really, really interesting today. We spoke not too long ago with Dr. Miriam Alexander, and she's got quite a quite a background, Andrea. Yeah, exactly. So she is actually a nationally recognized expert on preventive medicine. So she has 25 years experience as an occupational medicine physician. Um, She's actually had a number of different roles. She's overseen employee health for tens of thousands of employees at all sorts of organizations from Bethlehem Steel to the Yale New Haven Health System. Um, she's also uh, played a leadership role in this field. She's been past president of the American College of Preventive Medicine. She's also been a faculty member at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. Uh, at the moment, she is the medical director for employee health at LifeBridge Health in Baltimore, and she is a clinical advisor to IC Med. Right. So, you know, we had a conversation with her, which was really very dynamic, very informative, but also very inspiring. I really enjoyed the message that she gives around um, empowering patients and also family. There's some really good nuggets here. So, uh, Andrea, why don't we go into the interview? Let's do it. All right. We're here today with Dr. Miriam Alexander. We're going to be talking about the role that patients and families play in directing their own health care. Dr. Alexander, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me this evening. Great. Let's start with the most common way that people interact with their doctors through an annual physical. From your point of view, Dr. Alexander, what is the value of an annual physical? Well, thanks, Andrea. And that's really sort of the crux of... um, the, the conversation around how do we how do we all maintain our health with the uh, with the help of our physicians? So um, let's assume that um, we're healthy. So or, you know we have healthy we're, we're 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 healthy and we're not we're not really working having mul- multiple uh, illnesses in our lives. So we try not to call them actually annual physicals, and we like to call them periodic health evaluations, periodic health assessments, because the reality is that if you're a baby, you're going in actually every couple of months. And if you are robust health and you're in your 20s or 30s without any chronic medical problems, you shouldn't be going in annually. So I'd love the conversation to go away from the term sort of annual and really talk about it as the periodic health assessment. And the periodic health assessment, periodic health evaluation, is really an opportunity for you and your doc- doctor to really take stock of who you are, what a snapshot of who you are today is, all the different behaviors that you might be involved with that 
that may affect your health and also what other people who are like you, in other words, sort of the same age and the same gender might be experiencing. So for instance, you certainly wouldn't want to think of doing that periodic health assessment on a 22 year old, the same way you would be doing that periodic health assessment on someone who's 67, because their health risks are different. So what should really happen at that evaluation is that the physician should be offering you clinical preventive services that are most appropriate for your age and, and your stage of life, and also really eliciting from you what behaviors or risk-taking behaviors you might be involved in. So somebody who is monogamous would be having a totally different conversation than someone who has ha is having multiple sexual partners without contraception, just as an example. A 20-year-old boy would be having totally different conversations than his 68-year-old grandmother. So the physician should really be eliciting from you your behaviors, and you should be really sharing with him or her all the different activities that you are involved with. Um, so I, I think that's really the value of that conversation, as well as an opportunity for you to bring up any particular issues that you might have in going on in your life that might be affecting your health, whether it might be you're concerned about a small rash or you're concerned about a, a funny growth or, or something like that. But again, we're talking about that periodic health assessment. We're talking about that health maintenance health maintenance exam where both you and your physician are taking stock of what's going on in your life. And doctor, doctor, do you feel like, uh, that that is what actually happens, you know, every day in physicians offices across the country? Have we yet reached that model? No. So unfortunately I think we're not. And so uh, I really do think that, um, the physician really would, um, approach that, 21-year-old um, sexually active young man, very similarly that, to what he might be, uh, what, what they may be um, talking to their overweight um, boozer of a, a um, uh, grandmother. So I do think that we're really not at the point where we're really looking at that annual exam as an opportunity to really say, on both parts, what can we do to maximize the chance that we can keep you healthy? How can you go into a doctor's exam then so that you get the most out of it for your health? Yeah, so I think that's a wonderful question. So um, I think that patients don't uh, spend enough time preparing for these exams. And what I mean by that is literally a week or two before, start scratching down any particular concerns you have. Because for instance, most of us get pretty flustered and frustrated when we get to the doctor's office. So very often we may forget some of the questions that we had. So going in with a list of questions with an expectation that you're not going to let the physician leave the room until you've decided how you're going to address each one of those questions. And it might be that you need a follow-up, but that's fine. That at least is a plan of action. So I think coming in with a list. I also think that it's very important for each one of us as we maintain our health 
to realize that the doctor spends a very short snapshot of time with us and we are living with ourselves all the time. And I think that that's really where we have to be much better consumers. And we actually have to ensure that we know what preventive services should be addressed at this particular time. So for instance, we need to make sure that you know we ask should I be having, um, should I be screened now for colon cancer? Or should I be getting my pneumonia vaccine? Or, you know, should I be, my child is four years old this year. What should I be looking for this year? So I do think there are plenty of excellent resources available to all of us that will allow us to actually prepare and for us to ask the physician, oh, what do you should, am I, am I, um, you know, am I ready for this? Do I need this, et cetera, et cetera. And also be very ready to really talk about how you feel about certain situations. So just because the recommendations for mammography might be once every two years by one organization, once every one year by other organizations, you as a consumer may have some very strong feelings, such as, well, I know I'm relatively young, and I know that there's a chance that I'm going to get, you know, there are going to be false positives, and I'm going to have to go back and get more testing, but I'm so anxious about knowing that I'm willing to take that risk, versus the person who says, you know, Doc, you know, I just get so hyper and upset and anxious that I'm really going to go with your recommendation. So you really have to know sort of how you feel about your own health um, and, and how you feel about, you know, whether you want uh, information that may lead to going down false paths or whether you'd prefer to be more on the conservative side. So what advice do you have for the highly informed patient whose doctor isn't receptive to their Google findings? How can they engage their doctor in a more productive way? So a, a couple of things. First of all, you know, doing a physical exam on somebody who has no signs or symptoms um, it will yield just about nothing. And so looking in someone's ears or eyes or listening to their chest, if they have totally no symptoms and they have no no ongoing illnesses is really not a productive use of the exam because anything you pick up is statistically unlikely to be useful. So the real important part of that whole evaluation is really the discussion. And I do think that you can ask a physician without telling the physician what you want. You know, and I don't think you have to say to the doctor, doctor, I need X, Y, and Z. But I think you can say, well, doctor, I understand that for people in my age group or my demographic slice, these are things that might be useful. What are your thoughts on them? And then have a conversation about it. And assuming you want to really see yourself as a consumer and your physician as a partner, if the physician doesn't want to do that with you, I really do think that perhaps this is not the right physician for you to work with who's going to help you maintain your health. Now, again, you know, if you're transient and you're, you're in your 20s and 30s and, you know, you're coming and going, maybe it really isn't that important. But if you're in this for the long haul, if you're in the process of raising your family or you, for instance, are accompanying your, your, um, your older relative who you know 
needs a long-term relationship with this provider because you may see the provider many times during the year because you do have chronic health illnesses. You really do need to be able to feel comfortable with this provider. You have to be comfortable talking about, you know, are you sad? Are you depressed? Are you, you know, are you drinking more than you should? Because if you can't feel comfortable sharing this information with your physician, your physician really can't, um, can't really maximize his or her part of the relationship. And, and Dr. Alexander, um, you mentioned the long haul and strategies for people to uh, partner with their doctors over time. Since, mm-hmm. we're, since we're seeing technology become so prevalent in our lives, can you talk a little bit about what you think the role of co- uh, consumer technology is uh, for helping people and their doctors improve their overall health? Yeah, so I guess, you know, I'm not a real tech-savvy person, but I think there are a few things that are vitally useful to really being um, more than 50% part of that relationship with your provider where consumer technology really comes in. So first of all, as I mentioned, I think having logs, a log, you know, an LOG of a lot of things going on in your life are really, really useful. And I think technology plays a very good role in that. So for instance, if you feel like you get lightheaded often, that's not very useful to say to your provider, doctor, you know, I get lightheaded often. But if you've actually used an app that allows you to log when you feel lightheaded, maybe what time of the day or what you're doing and what you ate, that all of a sudden becomes a very useful tool and you bring that log, that app with you. Similarly, the consumer technology is extremely useful for monitoring your blood pressure, monitoring your mood, monitoring your blood glucose, because then you're really providing your doctor with lots and lots of data because no doctor wants to make a treatment decision based on one blood pressure reading. But if you come in with a lot of data points, all of us at at different times of the day, all of a sudden that's a very powerful tool for the doctor to really recommend certain kinds of things to you. So that's one way. Um, I also think that keeping track of your own records is very, very useful. And I love that the feature of certain apps that really allow you to have all of your records with you so that even if the doctor didn't know that you had seen a dermatologist six months ago or that you had gone to an urgent care when you were in a, on a business trip somewhere else, the fact that you have all that information with you um, becomes a very powerful tool for really getting a good understanding of what's going on with you. You can do that very similarly with your children, um, keeping track of, of their health, and certainly with your older relatives, it's very useful. And then obviously the whole idea of using consumer technology to actually get um good quality evidence and to be able to share with your provider where you got information. So I absolutely am frustrated myself when patients come in with wacko information from obscure websites. But if consumers come and and they show me, oh, this came from such and such a website versus when they are able to show me that this information 
came from a website that I feel is reputable. So I guess those are a few different ways that I think consumer technology can be very useful, specifically um, in the um, in the patient doctor encounter. And and Dr. Alexander, as Andrea mentioned, you are a, a clinical advisor to IC Med. Um, and one thing in in speaking with you earlier, you mentioned your uh, path to to medicine, and I think it is actually a little bit different than many physicians. I'm wondering if you could tell the audience a little bit about your particular uh, path to medicine and what may have been unique about your journey uh, in the field. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. Um in some way, so I come from a family of no physicians. Um, I come from a family of scientists and immigrants. And when I wanted to go into medicine, there was um, actually some um, concern about going into a trade versus something that was more intellectually cerebral. But I actually got interested in medicine when I was in seventh grade, living in New York State, when you were required to take health. And I was jazzed up about the idea that you could actually help people by helping them stop smoking or by actually having safer playgrounds. I just thought that was a really cool way of um, actually interacting with, with people to help them live the quality of life as they defined it. So I got interested in this whole notion of health way before I decided to really go into medicine. And I I majored in nutrition as an undergraduate, and I um, really was always very interested in health promotion. And then while going through medical school, I really looked at um, how do I want to practice medicine? And I kind of said to myself, well, I don't see myself as a, a technocrat or trying to solve problems downstream when keeping the finger in the dam just doesn't seem to be working. I said to myself, how can I have a much bigger impact than just trying to take care of people after they're injured or after they are already sick? And it seemed kind of frustrating to to think about patching people up in the emergency department one after another after another, when if you sat down and really looked at the patterns of their injuries, you could actually have developed interventions upstream that would have prevented all of those interventions. Um, And all that money saved really could go towards helping other people um, maintain their health so that they ultimately can have the quality of life as he or she defines it. And, you know, we speak a lot uh, on this podcast about families. I'm wondering if you can say a little bit about how parents can reinforce some of these principles that you've outlined. What should parents be doing and maybe what also should be happening within our schools? Yeah, so, you know, it's funny because, you know, you often take your child to the doctor and the doctor looks in their ears and their eyes and listens to their heart and stuff like that. But how often does the doctor actually talk to you about car safety or about not letting your child run into the street or about playground safety? And the reality is that the vast majority of health problems children have after the age of one is related to safety. And so I really do think that, you know, parents play a vital role in the health of their children just by really working on on safety at home. And it's car seats, it's smoke detectors, 
It's having emergency plans outside of the home. It's fire safety. It's a lot of those kinds of safety kinds of activities. Then obviously a huge issue we face right now around um, diet and exercise. And I do think that most of us get our eating habits at home. And I think that parents really not only buy the foods that they serve, but by their own behaviors are really modeling what they want for their children. And it's even things such as snacks that you give your children and how you reward good and bad behaviors. And I don't think parents spend quite enough time thinking about how food in our society is so used for cultural purposes um, or social purposes, if you will. And then finally, you know, exercise um, and exercise should not be about going to the gym or it's going to gym class, especially for children. Exercise is something that people should be doing all the time. And for children, it's just not watching television. It's making sure that you play after school and you go places where you actually, where the child is having fun with their heartbeat, their heart, with their heart rate elevated. And it's modeling behavior so that you take the stairs when you're in the stores with your children. You don't take the elevators. And it's really about getting more exercise into your life and into the life of your children. And then finally, if there's no good reason or if you need one reason not to smoke or not to drink to excess, it's because your children are watching you. And what you do is a lot more um, imprints itself in your children's mind much more than, than what you say. Uh, Dr. Alexander, just a, a final question to wrap up our conversation here, um, a personal question. Could you share with us a story of uh, something that's really motivated you to fulfill your mission as a doctor? Um, you know, it's a good question. I think, you know, I, I you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really, a, it's a, it's an excellent question. And I guess I think back to my days during my residency where I was doing my initial training in internal medicine and I was working in the emergency department as part of my rotations. And I remember per, man after man after man coming in with heart attack and I, you know, heart attacks and, you know, um, myocardial infarctions. And I remember all the excitement and all the adrenaline um, as the teams were putting lots of resources into to helping that person get out of distress. And I kept saying to myself, boy, you know, if we only would take all of that, those resources and that intellectual ability and really put it into actually preventing some of those behaviors. And I also remember um, being pregnant during my emergency room days and in the middle of the night, going in to, to suture a person who had been involved in altercations. And they were involved in alterca altercations because they had had so much to drink. And I remember saying to myself, boy, I wonder if there's enough alcohol in the fumes of these people's breath that it's going to affect, you know, give my, my, my unborn child fetal alcohol syndrome. And I just remember thinking that, you know, I've got to be able to use what I hope are my gifts 
in a way, rather than patching people up, in a way really to to prevent them um, from from um, from needing my intervention. And I remember one of my my mentors, um, Dr. Al Somer, who was the dean of the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health for many years while I was on faculty. And I remember him talking about how how really powerful it felt when one intervention that is wisely wisely planned can keep thousands and thousands of people healthy, whereas one intervention with one patient may take away some of their signs and symptoms for a short while. And I think that vision um, that Al Somer really, that, that vision um, really has stuck with me. Well, thank you. That is, Dr. Alexander, not only informative, but actually very inspiring and enlightening. And as someone who has a family, I'd like to thank you for spending the time with us today. We really appreciate your insight. Um, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. I um, Anything that I can do to contribute to individuals feeling empowered to actually manage their own health and that of their family, I'm very happy to do. Thank you. And welcome back. We just finished talking with Dr. Miriam Alexander. Andrea, that was really an interesting conversation. I really enjoyed talking to a physician who has unique insights on what everyday folks can do to improve their health. Exactly. I mean, I think she really lays out this new model of, of healthcare. It's not just something you do once a year when you visit the doctor. Health is something you keep track of all the time for yourself and your loved ones. And then the doctor becomes a kind of partner in that journey. And it's, yeah, exactly. It's exciting to hear a physician really lay out that model. Right. And and I think part partnering and partnership is the right term. Um, and with IC Med, I think that's what the technology is is working to do. That's what um, I think that's what we're seeing now in uh, in the technology sector, bringing together the medical field with uh, with our families. Uh, this has been great, Andrea. It's always wonderful to talk with you and to co-host this show. Um, I'm looking forward to our next adventure. Great. Well, we'll see you in 2017 then. Sounds good. Take care, everyone.